As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Plenty of praise for Port Vale, Pompey player, Plymouth Pincher Point and Perfect Peterborough Plunder a Magnificent Seven. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hey gang, Matt Davis-Adams here to chat through an abridged weekend in the English Football League. Given just the two leagues were in action, we thought we'd stick with just the two pundits. What a pair they are though. Howdy Sam Parkin. Uh, good afternoon Matthew, how you doing? Really well, thank you. Uh, how are you doing, Adrian Clark? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, buzzing. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was quite nice. Quite nice to just have the two leagues to concentrate on this weekend. Made made preparation for today slightly less labour intensive, which is good. <laughs> um, I have got beef with Sam because he wished me a happy fortieth birthday yesterday, and I'm very much still in my thirties. But um, you know, we'll move on from really? that quickly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Damn. Uh, <laughs> we're doing battle verbally already. Now let's do it with this. Performance of the weekend. Yes, it's our performance of the weekend. Plenty of candidates this week. The three of us have each selected a team we think did the best football. We've got 15 seconds to state our case. Basically, we've taken Peterborough out of the equation this weekend because that was that was rather an obvious one. We have all gone for teams beginning with P, though, which is quite sweet. Uh, Adrian, you've picked Plymouth Argyle. Your 15 seconds starts now. Yeah, Argyle cured their travel sickness with a deserved 2-2 draw. On fire, Blackpool. They were brilliant in the first half. Aggressive off the ball. Super positive in possession. Ryan Hardy scored against his old club. They wobbled after that. But Captain Fantastic Joe Edwards saved the day. Brilliant late equaliser. Wow. Abby pointing out that you were really quick off the mark there to try and hit the timer perfectly. And you've absolutely nailed it, to be fair. That was uh, incredibly well, impressive. I've had the stopwatch out and everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pressure on you then, Sam. You've chosen Portsmouth, revitalised under Danny Cowley. Your 15 seconds starts now. Yeah, a magnificent first-half performance paved the way for another Cowley-inspired Pompey victory. Dominated the ball, but moved it with an incisiveness not seen before this season. Ben Close controlled the midfield. Both fullbacks assisted and Williams and Harness in particular looking revitalised. Saw the game out comfortably with 10 men. Play up Pompey. <laughs> Timing not so good, but there was a lot of actual breakdown and tactical analysis of the game there for 15 seconds. content, so, Sam. Yeah. yeah, I did Thank enjoy you. the content. Um, I've picked Port Vale. My 15 seconds start now. 
Three wins on the spin for Rejuvenated Vale after they went and mugged off Yamos Crawley on their own patch. They dealt with the setback of conceding an equaliser on the stroke of half-time with goals from Smith and Worrell earning a deserved win, all masterminded by a talented tactician called Clark. Who <laughs> there you go, little dig in at the end. Always, always love to see it. Uh, head to at The Totally Show on Twitter to vote. OK, no championship action this past weekend, but still some headlines. Let's address those now slash next. Championship headlines, Alex Neal fined after being sacked. Harsh. Uh, Neal's been hit in the pocket to the tune of £2,000 after being sent off at Middlesbrough earlier this month. Bristol City have signed free agent Danny Simpson till the end of the season. Last week saw zero positive COVID-19 cases at any of the 72 English Football League clubs for the first time since twice weekly testing began in January. Ben Gibson will miss the rest of the season after suffering an ankle ligament injury. His loan from Burnley to Norwich will be made permanent if and when the Canaries are promoted. And Rotherham's game against Coventry has been scheduled for the 15th of April. So this is what's coming up for the Millers. On the 10th, away at Huddersfield. 13th, home to QPR. 15th, home to Coventry. 18th, home to Birmingham. Four games in nine days then. Adrian, how are they going to cope with that? Well, it's going to be tough. They don't have the biggest squad, do they, Rotherham? And some of the games are are really important ones, like six-pointers. You've got Coventry in there, Birmingham. Huddersfield might not be safe at that point either. So, yeah, it's really tough. I mean, the Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday is a killer. So, let, let Paul Warren will have to rotate and, and, and the fringe players will be under pressure to deliver. Um, it's a tough task, but, but Rotherham, one thing they have is resilience and spirit. I guess the the other key thing, Sam, is that they've actually not got much time to prepare for the games, if you see what I mean. Can you do that much preparation for the opponents when presumably you play one game, come in and do a recovery day, and then and then you, you're on to the next game? It's going to be a lot of sitting in the classroom rather than being out on the training pitch, maybe. Definitely. And another period which will be completely foreign, I would say, to the to the players and the management, something that they've only had to contend with this season you'd probably walk through something prior to the first game and maybe have a look at what you're going to do in the future fixtures, rotate a few of the players during the 11 v 11, try out some different personnel, uh, try out some different systems. So people have got an idea what's coming in in the days and the games ahead. That that's the way that I would probably approach it. Um, But yeah, Paul Warren will probably have a look at loads of different starting lineups in the in the days before but of course we're talking about a a season which will probably be interrupted before that run you know with covid and and injuries and and such like so very difficult and uh, another test for Paul Warren and his squad which is obviously not one of the strongest in the division I tell you what it's uh, it's good for potentially some of the youth players or the yeah. resis yeah. they they, they might, you know it's it'd be a good time to hit form and and to train well in front of the gaffer because as 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 right as Sam is it's bound to be the odd injury pop up in, in some of these games. So they'll be down to the bare bones. If I, yeah, if I'm one of the, the, the players on standby, make sure you're ready. OK, let's get to the action then. Specifically, the League One action. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So in order to give the non-football loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your four-plus-fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. 
Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gamble away. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines. Peter Briz 7, Dwarves Accrington as Posh cut the gap at the top to just a single point. That after Hull are held at home by Gillingham. Wimbledon are the big winners at the bottom. And crew chairman John Bowler has resigned following the publication of the Sheldon report into historical sexual abuse in football. The report criticised crew for not doing more to prevent the crimes committed by their former coach, Barry Bennell. Only one place we can start our look back at the weekend's action. A 7-0 win for Peterborough. And as Quest viewers will know, the last time Accrington conceded seven or more was against Peterborough when John Coleman and Darren Ferguson were managers. Plus ça change. Now you're gone. What you won't have learned was that Base Hunter, with Now You're Gone, was number one at that time with Soldier Boy, Nickelback, X Factor winner Leon Jackson and take that among those in the top ten. A truly magnificent era. Now you're gone. Johnson Clark Harris, the main man for the home side here, helping himself to a hat-trick. Afterwards, he tweeted, Amazing day today, another three goals, and I'm made up with at Sammy Smodic. And I made up with full stop, at Sammy Smodix is a joke of a player and so, so buzzing for at ESAR7 as well. Great day, flames emoji. Uh, you just wonder if one of Joe Hart's media team has, has got involved there, having been released from their position. And, and yeah, that's why there's an errant full stop in there. But anyway, the game, he did well. He scored a hat trick. He also, Sam, shouted out Moisa there publicly as well as on Twitter. And with him back in the fold and in a bit of form, is that going to be the missing ingredient that, that Peter have maybe been lacking in recent weeks? Um, I wouldn't say so. It's nice to have him back because it's just strength in, in reserve, if you like, uh, especially if, if Dembele or, or Smodic's are missing games. But I thought Harrison Burrows did really well as well from, from the start. And he was the one deputising for, for Dembele, made one of the goals. But East is a peculiar one because, you know, doing the podcast a few seasons ago, arguably one of the best players for 12 months in League Two. And he got his move to Bristol City and his career has just plateaued really over the last year or two. So I think Testament, I said it on Saturday to his character that he's come on and should be good for his, his confidence, but it's hard to see him getting in at the moment. I question whether Oshmonix was in such terrible form. He had, I think he had nine games without scoring one in his first 18 and he is just delivering game after game at the moment. So it's hard to see a, a spot in the side for Issa. They've got such strength in that department. Uh, Clarky, last week I asked you why Peterborough had dropped off so alarmingly and, and what they could do about it. Probably what spurred them on here, but um, it was quite quite the turnaround anyway. Well, it's just what they needed, Matt, because they had been playing pretty poorly. I don't think any posh fans would have seen a 7 0 coming. Um, defensively, I don't think they're as sure footed as they maybe need to be to be that confident of automatic promotion but but we know they're brilliant going forward we know that they can put anyone to the sword when when it all clicks for them I read, uh, Sam touched on it there with Harrison Burrows having him ahead of Butler on the left gives you sort of two wing backs molded together really they can interchange they can attack they can defend similar story really on the other side not quite the same but with Thompson and Ward and then you've got Smodix breaking forward from from the 10 position to get into the box and score and, and create it's it's a great combination, uh, and they did this without two of their best players as well in, in Jack Taylor and Siriki Dembele. So, so yeah, look, posh on the day are brilliant. 
but they are inconsistent. And, and I, I think that that still might impact on their chances of, of top two. Let's see. Uh, Sam, just looking back at, at recent Peterborough strikers, whoever scouts the, the front men for Posh is doing a good job. Craig McHale-Smith, Dwight Gale, Britta Sombolonga, Ivan Tony, and now Clark Harris. D- didn't have to work particularly hard for his hat-trick on Saturday. Where does he rank amongst those previous Posh strikers that I mentioned? Has he got the potential to, to improve much upon where he is now, do you think? I think he has. Maybe slightly different in that he's been around the block a little bit. I know he's still got time on his side, but it, it's taken him a while to fulfil the potential, I suppose. Ivan Tony, I think it was clear early that um, he had, you know, the fundamentally everything you need for a, for a striker. I think that Clark Harris needs a bit more management, probably. Um, I think there was there was periods in his early career when he wasn't as as focused. So he's found a real home. Firstly, at Bristol Rovers. So you have to credit them for obviously putting him in the side week in week out last season, where he delivered I think twenty four in in forty two appearances, and he's surpassed that already this year. Um, so I, I think in terms of who they could have got gone and got realistically, he was the perfect replacement for Tony. And the chairman has to take enormous credit. I think it was over a million pounds. I think I heard him speaking recently. It was a five six hour medical that they put him through just to make sure that this outlay of money uh, was worthwhile. So, you know, a lot of clubs would have looked at him, but Peterborough with their track record have gone and got him and they're getting the, they're getting the rewards now. He's in magnificent form. I loved the hat trick because it was horrible (laughs) from about 10 yards, Um, but they all count and that's what he's paid for. So another great afternoon for him uh, against an Accrington side who, Oh, it could have been anything. Every time I looked at the TV in that first half, I felt there was going to be a goal. It was it was wave after wave. Yeah, day to forget for them, no doubt. Uh, on Friday night, Oxford United beat Lincoln City by two goals to one. Oxford on the tails of the playoff pack felt that this was a game they couldn't afford to lose. So fortunately, they brought A Ford off the bench to grab an equaliser after Scully's opener for Lincoln. That before Matty Taylor smashed home the winner for Oxford. Uh, Adrian, they're just a point off the off the playoffs now. Have you noticed any particular change in in style or tactical approach from from Carl mm. Robinson, or, or was it that just getting rid of the um, the negativity from the end of last season? I think they just rose to the occasion in this one. It can sometimes happen, can't it? When it when the game's on telly, players can can sort of get that that extra focus. It was a really good display, and obviously it got off to a bad start because they went went a goal down, but. But yeah, it was it was a, it was an excellent team performance. You know, it's the first time I've seen them sort of for ninety minutes for for a while, and and yeah, I, ju- I just liked what I saw on the ball. Very positive, looking to play the forward passes. They looked calm. Brannigan was good. Sykes was was excellent as well. Brandon Barker looks a real player. I mean, skipping past defenders for fun, really. So 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 they looked good on the ball. But but it was actually without the ball that it really impressed me. They kind of worked hard. To, to track back and, and to nullify Lincoln. And, and yeah, I, I agreed with Carl Robinson's post-match in, in, in saying that they fully deserved the win. I know that Appleton was quite pleased with Lincoln's performance, but for me, for me they were a bit short in this game and, and Oxford were the better side. So, yeah, look, James Henry was another one at, at the heart of most good things. So, yeah, it's the kind of performance they needed. And I've looked at their fixtures. 
not bad. Not a bad running at all. Loads and loads of mid-table teams to come. Uh, just Sunderland away and Wimbledon away, sort of teams that really will have something to play for. So, so yeah, don't write off Oxford. I think that's the message. What about Lincoln, Sam? We've, we've spoken in, in recent weeks about how key the absence of, of George Grant might be here. They didn't have Brennan Johnson, who was on international duty with Wales. Callum Morton and Andrew Jackson also after they tested positive uh, for COVID. It, again, highlights what is the big deficiency really with them, isn't it? Which is is the lack of squad depth and, and at the wrong time in the season, that looks like it's coming to bite them a little bit. You're really going to make me repeat myself on Friday night where I said the same thing 750 <laughs> times. Um, they're decimated by injury. You know, what else can you say mm. other than they've had a magnificent season? Nobody expected them to, to, to be where they were. Yet, if they are to fall away now, it'd be bitterly disappointing for everyone connected. But, you know, watching that game on Friday, yes, Scully scored. They've got no recognised striker in the squad. Uh, Bridcut has been right up there in terms of their best players this season. They lose his influence before half time. The COVID thing, you know, I'm rubbing my hands together thinking what Callum Morton did at the, at the back end of last season for Northampton. He's got, what, 10, 12 games to absolutely explode into life in League One. All of a sudden, he's out on the back of a brilliant goal at the Stadium of Light. It's just unbelievable, and you had to feel for them. Obviously, Johnson comes back into play in the next game, so I don't think all is lost. Massive fan of Rogers. Thought he was excellent again on Friday, so it's not done. I think they play MK Dons next, but you have to say with... The likes of Pompey circling behind them, uh, it's going to be difficult. It's definitely not going to be automatics, in my opinion. That that's gone now. They just have to secure themselves in the in the playoffs. You've even got Oxford now, as Adrian says. Um, you know, coming now that they, they had to win that game, and I, you know, I felt that that a point was a great result for Lincoln the other night. Oxford almost must win at this stage, and Kyle Robinson's team selection absolutely emphasise that because that was the most attacking team I think I've seen this season. It was unbelievable. Brannigan playing and holding midfield. He's a, a very good attacking midfielder on his day. They've got wingers at fullbacks right now due to injury. I mean, he couldn't have gone any more attacking, but they played very well and thoroughly deserved the win. Yeah. Oh, just quickly on, on Lincoln, I think the key for them obviously is to get Brendan Johnson in the side and get another striker available. But it's just not to lose heart, not to lose confidence. Yes, they've lost five of eight, but but there are extenuating circumstances, as Sam's explained. They've got to try and retain that that belief because if they go into games feeling a bit edgy and, and, and less confident, then, then it could just fall away for them. Yeah, so Oxford looking to break into the playoffs. Lincoln hoping to retain their place in it. Sunderland, though, maybe with loftier ambitions. Uh, they won 1-0 at Bristol Rovers this weekend, ending Joey Barton's unbeaten record as a manager against the Black Cats. And it means that Sunderland are right on the coattails of second place Peterborough. They're only two points behind them with a game in hand, and they've got two games in hand on the leaders' hole two. Aidan O'Brien with the only goal of the game. A shark celebration followed. Uh, this is how Lee Johnson explained that. There's a quote that says, uh, do sharks worry about Monday? No, they go around being sharks and biting stuff and being aggressive. And uh, we showed that and I think it resonated quite well. Um, so yeah, we bit a few ankles today, that's for sure. Sunderland, Adrian, brilliant run. We've not spoken much about them lately, which I'm sure they are absolutely delighted with because they want to go under the radar a little bit. But the further up the table they get, the more difficult that becomes. Yeah, look, Lee Johnson has always been a momentum manager. It, just look at his history. 
he goes on these unbelievable runs and, and then it does go the other way at times and, and you, you think where's the next wing going to come from but then he seems to turn it around and he's a very up and down coach history tells you that, that that's the case with him at the moment they're on fire and and they're, they're probably the best team in the division on current form quite like the the setup the 4-2-2-2 given Aidan O'Brien a bit, bit of game time so, and, and, and he's delivered you know, he's a good bridge, I think, between midfield midfield and attack. I, I just want to reference the, the defensive record, really. Ten conceded away from home. Absolutely fantastic. And and at the moment, they've got a pretty unlikely centre-back partnership in, in, in Luke O'Neill, who, who can play anywhere, but I never saw him as a centre-half. And and Dion Sanderson, who I think is a centre-half, but, but, but played primarily at right-back for Cardiff on a, on a previous loan spell. Yet, yet these two have sort of come together and... And they're doing a great job. So yeah, Sunderland, great momentum. This was professional. It wasn't brilliant. They didn't. They weren't outstanding, but but they did. They did the job. And I, I was looking at uh, at teams, uh, looking at some of their stats, and and they've scored first in seventy two percent of their games. Just that's such a big thing for them. Get get your nose in front, see it out. I mean, they they struggled, didn't they? Previously, they, they would often draw a game one one all once they they took the lead. But but of late, they've managed to hold on to those leads, and uh, yeah, they look they look good value for automatic now. I watched quite a bit of the, the, the first half, and I mean, more or less complete agreement with Adrian. But I think that a few mistakes are starting to creep into that centre half partnership, and Luke Nine was maybe at fault for the goal against Lincoln. And in the first half, they were they were really poor here. I, I felt they really lacked urgency, kept the organisation. But I thought that Alunga in particular caused those two quite a number of problems. So I think, yes, although they're getting away with it and there's been some stellar performances from the um, the defending players that have been shuffled around, I think Bailey Wright, for one, will probably walk straight back into that team when he's available for the, for the run-in. As for Bristol Rovers, though, second from bottom in the table with a, a daunting-looking run into the season, likes of Lincoln, Ipswich, Doncaster, Portsmouth, all still to play, Blackpool too. But, Clarkey, from what you're hearing, there's a half a chance Joey Barton might not be around to uh, to see the denouement of this, this season in Bristol. Well, just before we came on air for the pod, I, I noticed that Joey Barton's odds-on favourite for the Preston job. Remarkable, really. He's only had 10, 10 games. I think he's only won, won twice at Bristol Rovers. But but he's, he's clearly not happy. Um, he, he's been really scathing of, of previous regimes. Of, of a, he even talked of a cancer going through the club, which is strong words for a, for a new manager, someone that's new to the area. Um, and he stripped, of course, um, the captain, um, Max Aimer, of, of the armband. He, he's, he's, he's sort of all guns blazing at the moment. Um and look, if he gets offered the Preston job, I could see him taking it, couldn't you? Um, so, yeah, fascinating times. I mean, to bail out on, on Bristol Rovers would be would be pretty unforgivable if you're a gas fan. But but it's not going well, is it? So maybe a change might might, might not be the worst thing for them. We'll have to see how it plays out. But that is it's potentially big news around the corner. Yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on. Also at the bottom of League One, Wimbledon left it late, but earned a huge three points after their 1-0 victory over fellow strugglers Northampton. Joe Piggott back on the score sheet here. Uh, Sam, it's it's an obvious question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because that's my stock in trade. He is vital to their chances of staying up, isn't he? Oh, without doubt. I mean, I thought they were probably down had he have left in, in January. That said, this was um, his first goal in nine, I think. 14th for the season. 
And he has now scored or assisted 19 of their 36 goals. So just shows their their importance. Um, but this was a another really terrible game, to be honest. <laughs> Three shots on target in the whole game. We obviously know two of them. And I've highlighted Longman had a shot in the 27th minute on my, uh, on my piece of paper here. So we had the, the penalty, we had Piggott's goal and uh, Longman managed a shot in the first half. But uh, the one thing I think tactically that Wimbledon should be positive about uh, is that they played the diamond against Charlton to great success and they stuck with it here. And it forced um, Northampton into changing in the in, in the second half, where they improved a little bit up to the final third. So maybe tactically, the balance of the team looks a little bit better with someone in support of of Pigger. And I noted that Dobson did really well uh, at the base of the diamond. Nightingale back to his best uh, in this performance, but not a good game. All about the three points and and Wimbledon have still got some really nice home fixtures to look forward to. Um, that said, only three wins in 13 so far at their new home. So if they are to survive, it's going to be more successes like Saturday, I would suggest. Very tight in this game, Clarkie, between them and also in the League One table. Both on 36 points, Northampton with the better goal difference, but they've played twice more. Just looking at their fixtures, they've got difficult ones. They've still got to go to Holt. They've still got to go to Peterborough. They host Ipswich and Blackpool. But their only wins in 2021 have been against Plymouth, Portsmouth and Oxford. So maybe actually they're better suited to playing opposition higher up the table. Yeah, but but it's it's easier to win those games at home. And, and that's where they won those matches. Going to Hull, going to Peterborough, going to Sunderland is is a massive tall order for them. Um, but look, look, this was a bad day for them. But but we've been praising Northampton that they've been much better under John Brady and I just think it's the nature of of this season. They're knackered. Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and, and they beat Oxford in the previous game. We were great against Lincoln. Great energetic performance. Everyone loving it. And then they turn up at Wimbledon and they just can't get going. It's lackluster. It's it's just it's hard to maintain. And I tell you, the Sam will know this. The lower down the pyramid you go. It's not just about talent. A lot of it's pace and talent, of course, but but it's also being able to string consistent performances together. And that's why players are in League One and League Two, because they can't string uh, games back to back. And and I think that's the case with Northampton at the moment. So they've, they've just got to make sure that they that they that they win games rather than draw them. It's, it's getting those three pointers, uh, even if you lose the odd the odd few along the way. All right, let's get some odds on League One, courtesy of our friends at Paddy Power and producer Abby. Abby, because we were just talking about relegation then, let's start with the, the relegation market. How is it viewed by Paddy Power? It is viewed as Rochdale and Bristol Rovers being the most likely to be relegated come the end of the season. They are 1-6 to six to go down to League Two with Wigan 4-11, to 11, Northampton 2-5, to five, Swindon 5-6. to six. And uh, AFC Wimbledon, that win has done them some good. They are now evens to be relegated. Uh, how about promotion? In the promotion race, a bit more interesting. We've got uh, Hull as the favourite to be promoted, four to eleven, with Sunderland two to five, Peterborough four to nine. Those are the three that are odds on. Uh, then we come to Portsmouth and Lincoln, who are both three to one to be promoted, and uh, Blackpool four to one. And rounding up is Doncaster; they're eleven to two. Uh, busy period ahead in League One. Lots of games on Good Friday. There is a midweek match as well. It's between Gillingham and Wigan, which is a, a big one. 
certainly as far as Wigan are concerned, as they look to try and get themselves out of the relegation zone. What are the odds on that one? Uh, Gillingham are odds on to win this one. They are 10 to 11. Wigan 14 to 5 and the draw 23 to 10. Yeah, that'd be big for Gillingham if they won that. They'd get themselves up into the playoff places. Okay, that's League One done. We'll go to League Two next. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Big two headlines. Wes Houlihan's Cambridge United back on top of the division whilst Forest Green Rovers drop out of the automatic promotion places after defeat to Bolton. Gary Bowyer's first match as Salford boss ended with defeat to Exeter. Salford have failed to score in five games in all competitions. They've had 62 shots in those matches without finding the net. At the bottom, there was a huge win for Southend, a decent draw for Grimsby and defeat for Barrow. Speaking of Barrow, midfielder Lewis Hardcastle has been forced to end his playing career at the age of just 22 because of a heart condition. We're going to start our look back with two clubs in contrasting form who met at Brunton Park. As current hotshots Cambridge got the better of previous hotshots, Carlisle. Three wins on the spin now for Cambridge. Sam, you were were bigging up the revitalisation of Paul Mullin on Saturday night. Would you like to continue that now? Yeah, can do. Um, record-breaking goal, 25 for, for the season, beating David Crown's record of, of 24. It's been unbelievable. I've spoken about quite a few players who... Tom Nichols springs to mind, actually, that I've spoken of. Um, same level. Gone away from just being that predatory 18-yard box striker and does so much work for the team and assisting. And I think that's what Paul Mullins probably been up to this season in his career. So to have a manager in Mark Bonner, have complete faith that he is the central striker, the main goal getter. You can just see the confidence flowing through this player right now. Um, Always had the ability, but probably done too much work for the team. Been too unselfish. So, incredible season, and I think he's out of contract. So, this is going to be <laughs> a really nice um, free transfer for somewhere in the summer. Obviously, yeah. Cambridge will hope that they maintain this form and can bump his money up at the higher tier, but it looks like Paul Mullins' next contract um, should be a nice one, and it was a brilliantly taken goal, although I questioned why a defender wouldn't do his homework and say, go on, Paul Mullins, come inside. If you hit your swinger and it flies in the top corner, then fair enough. You have to show him on his left foot there because we know that his right is deadly. What about uh, what about Carlisle, Adrian? Sinking like a stone at the moment. They've only won once since the, the end of January. Is this the end of their, their playoff hopes, this defeat? 
I think so. They were so good, weren't they? Up until they, they sort of had all those problems with COVID around Christmas and in January. It's it, it must be so hard to watch because as brilliant as they were then, they're, they're just mediocre at the moment. One win in, in 13, you know, 19 and a half hours of football, you know, um, six points gained. It's, it's poor, really. In this game... I think the manager as well got got drawn in. Maybe a sign of, of sort of uh, less confident on it on his part. Went away initially from the four three three. Tried to match up Cambridge, and a lot of gaffers do this. Try and matched up in the diamond, and and all that really did was show that Cambridge are better at a diamond than than Carlisle. We've seen that a thousand times in terms of of, of teams trying to replicate it. Didn't work. They changed the second half, and and they were and they were better, but it wasn't wasn't quite enough. Look, they're a decent side. They've got, they've, they've they've got fine players, but but they're just on a on a rotten run, and it feels now as if as if they have to have to plan for next season. But but from Chris Beach's point of view, he needs a bit of a turnaround, I think, because he's gone from being you know the the, the chosen one to suddenly the fans are thinking is is he is he the right guy? So he he needs a bit of an upturn. He doesn't want the season to peter out. It would be doing Cambridge a disservice if I said you, you stick Paul Mullins into um, Carlisle's side mm. and there's a different result. But mm. the lack mm. of a central yeah. striker for Carlisle is yeah. alarming. And I think they've had that all season. If you think back, John Mellish, who I think by trade is a defender, yeah. was absolutely flying start of the season. He had seven in his first 12. He's now reverted to type, bless him, one in his last 20. So I think that's a... One of the big reasons with a lack of clean sheets and a manager who I think right now doesn't know his best team, those ingredients is why Carlisle have fallen away badly. Yeah, and, and we didn't touch on it with Bristol Rovers, but you could say exactly the same about Bristol Rovers. Didn't invest in, in, in a striker at the start of the season, didn't invest in a striker in January. And and they're just reliant on on keeping clean sheets to, to nick the odd win here and there. And, and yeah, now that Mellish has dried up, that's um, that, that's the case for Carlisle. So, um, so, yeah, look, you're only ever as good as your front man. And look, Paul Mullen is, is probably the best front man in the division. And look where Cambridge are in the league. So Carlisle bang out of form. Bolton very much the opposite of that. 32 points from their last 12 games. Haven't lost any of those. Latest, a big win against Forest Green Rovers. Uh, we'll just take a moment to remember when Jamil and Matt's fingers all pointed in the same way. Anyway, Owen Doyle, back on the score sheet, Sam. Uh, Mark Cooper saying he was the difference between the teams. It just highlights what we were talking about a minute ago. If, you, if you've got yourself a, a proven goal scorer, it'll take you a long way in, in a division in which we've spoken about a lot this season. There's not really an outstanding team. No, him and yeah, him and Mullen are, are one and two. You can argue which which way round that is. But um, brilliant goal, brilliantly taken. Um, fewest touches on the on the pitch in terms of a Bolton player Owen Doyle just 25 times but doesn't matter the one that that counts ends up in the net and I think Mark Cooper is pretty spot on to be fair especially when they're missing Jamil Matt now which could have absolute desperate um, ramifications for for them now considering he's the the top goal scorer 15 goals it's unlikely he's going to play in in the next few games and they've not scored in three games now so that's going to be really tough for them to get over especially when you consider they're missing Adam Sweeney Jordan Moore Taylor former teammate of mine it's the spine of their team has been really affected and in this game 
no team is probably going to control possession against Bolton as much as Forest Green Rovers because we know that they, the way they like to play and it, there was probably a lot of good spells that they had without having that end product and I'm afraid that's probably going to be something that we're going to be saying again in the weeks ahead. So I hope they can turn it around. But um, I think they're going to have a challenge on now remaining in the playoff picture. Should give uh, the, the higher-ups at Bolton some credit, shouldn't we, Adrian? Because they've backed Ian Everett to the nth degree. Now, we've spoken about some of his post-match comments this season and, and they've had periods where, where they've looked pretty rotten, but they've stuck behind him and it looks like it's going to pay off. Definitely, yeah. They, they sort of held off that trigger, didn't they? And I think that Bolton um, will, will certainly not be ruining that decision. They must have come quite close because their underachievement earlier on in the season was was pretty staggering given their investment. But they showed faith in him, in the players, and they and they reinvested, let's get that right, as well in, in January. They they went and signed a lot of newbies as well. And and it's it's fallen into place. We talked about it last week. But they, I watched this game and I just thought that Bolton were really calm and professional. It wasn't fancy. They weren't brilliant. They didn't blow Forest Green away. But they were just calmly in control of, of everything. And a lot of it, I think, stems for that that sort of central spine. We talked before about Santos and Baptiste at the back. In front, MJ Williams and Kieran Lee, really efficient. And those four, a little bit like Norwich, with the two central midfielders ahead of the centre-halves, just mopping up everything and, and giving the team a platform to to go and, and score score the odd goal here and there. Eight clean sheets in 13 now for Bolton. So, yeah, I, I look at it. I mean, you looked at this game and you thought, well, Bolton are superior to to Forest Green. So, so yeah, the, the top four, as it stands, Cambridge, Cheltenham, Tranmere and Bolton, I think they are the best four teams. But, of course, that doesn't doesn't mean they'll, they'll, they'll go up. We'll have to wait and see, of course. At the other end of the table, a massive win for Southend United. 1-0 away to Harrogate. Ashley Nathaniel George, he's got three first names, just the one goal, but that was... Uh, <laughs> Enough to get them through. Clarky, the, the, the scenes of despair at Clark Towers last week we, we spoke through must have been something entirely opposite this weekend. Honestly, yeah. I, I, felt, I feel a bit sick thinking about Southend dropping into non-league. I genuinely do. It's just it's a club that should be in League One, not not even in League Two, but but they are where they are. Um, this was must win and, and, and credit to them. For it, and, and I think they're chasing down Colchester now. Colchester have got a tougher run in, I think. They're in, they're in a woeful sort of run themselves. And, and I think there'll be real belief that, that Southend might be able to do it. And the, the reason they'll have belief is that they've only conceded six goals in the last 12 games. Six goals conceded in 12. Stevenage are the only team that have, that have conceded fewer in that spell. If they can continue that, and just, you know, nick the odd goal here and there, they'll be all right. So, yeah, in this game, I think the manager got his team right. He put Dimitriou back at right back. He's been used in central midfield. He's more of a right back. Um, Dieng's been up front. They've used various different people at, up top that aren't really strikers, didn't work. Um, yeah, went, went with two, Akinola and Acre in this game, and, and, and it was better. So, yeah, look, and, and McCorm- uh, McCormack was good in midfield, I think. So, so yeah, it's the hope that kills you, but I, I genuinely feel that that this win might be the catalyst for for some kind of run. I certainly hope so. 
Yeah, goal difference might be key, I guess. Uh, Southend, second bottom, 35 points from 38 games, but goal difference of minus 27. Uh, it's Barrow just above them. who've played two games fewer. They have three points more. Uh, goal difference of just minus four. And then Colchester, uh, four points behind, four points ahead of Southend, I should say, at the moment. Uh, as for Harrogate, Sam, uh, they would have been disappointed to have lost to a struggling team at home. And actually, that probably signifies that it's been quite a good first season for them, tucked in 15, miles away from relegation trouble. Uh, they've settled well. Yeah, it's been been a really good maiden season for them. Been better away from home. Eight wins to, to six, taken more points, 26 to, to 22. So probably be looking to improve that home form and also haven't taken a point in nine games against any of the current top six. So that's where... Simon Weaver will have to plot, I suppose, next season how they're going to improve and and get better about against the the, the forces in the division. Um, but yeah, they, they've got loads to be proud of. I think that the, the players seem to be completely adapted to the level now. Belief the first few weeks you're probably getting through on adrenaline. Now they clearly believe it that they they belong at this level. And in the front two. Those two have either scored or, or assisted 27 of their goals, which is a, a hell of a return for for two lads that haven't got much experience at the level, Muldoon and, and Martin. Sure is. Uh, let's get some odds on League Two then. Uh, Abby Harrogate aren't going to be in the race for promotion. Who's the favourite for it, according to Paddy Power? Favourite to be promoted is Cheltenham. They are two to seven. Then it's Bolton who are one to two and Cambridge eight to fifteen. Uh, Forest Green and Tranmere are on eleven to ten with Morecambe seventeen to ten to get promoted. Uh, how about relegation? In the relegation, Grimsby are the favourites. They are one to nine with Southend two to nine. Uh, but Colchester, as Clarky's got his eye on, they are the third most likely to get relegated. They are three to one. So a bit of a gap, but keep your eye on that. Carlisle Crawley playing in midweek. I guess both teams will think that that's a, a must-win game in, in terms of their playoff aspirations. How's that been priced up? Yes, so Carlisle are 21 to 20 to win this one with both the draw and a Crawley win, uh, five to two. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All the Paddy Power app, it's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org.uk when the fun stops. Stop. Uh, now then, long-time listeners will remember with either fondness, apathy or disdain the short-lived Let's Quiz Clarky and Parky about their careers feature. Well, I'm thrilled to say it's back. I've trawled soccer base to find some obscure facts from a game involving the chaps. Uh, Sam, you're going first, right? I didn't realise quite how momentous this was. According to Soccer Base, today, which is the 29th of March for us, is the seven-year anniversary of your final appearance in professional football as you stepped off the bench for Exeter in a 1-0 home defeat to Accrington. A bittersweet occasion, I'm sure. What I want to know is, in goal for Stanley that day was a young chap who would go on to get a call-up to the England senior squad in 2018. Name that goalie. No, I have no idea. I mean, it's literally the, the worst the worst question because that was one of the worst days of my life because I, never did I envisage that was going to be the way that it ended. So I'm just going to go, Scott Carson, up yours. <laughs> this is what happens when you call me 40 when I'm not... Um, no, Clarky, would you like to, to have a guess to steal? Uh, Young uh, goalie, got in an England senior squad, didn't get a cap. No, no, got nothing. Got nothing. Marcus Bettinelli. 
is the answer. <laughs> that is the that is that that tops it. That's the worst question I've ever. Heard. I mean, Marcus Bettinelli. <laughs> I might have expected him to get in the Italian squad, but not the English squad. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Sam, I'm sorry about that. I mean, I was just looking for something related to this date. Don't don't apologise, Matt. Don't apologise. Sam, <laughs> Sam's just got to take that on the chin. I'll just apologise for the quality of the question. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Uh, all right, Adrian, you're up. On the 28th of March 1997, so 24 years ago yesterday as we record, you were part of the South End side that lost 3-0 at Tranmere. Sorry about that. Uh, mm. Roper's third goal that day came from a player who three years earlier had scored at a World Cup Finals. <laughs> so his actions on the touchline that particular day in 94 were more memorable than the goal. Who am I talking about? I think I, him clues. I think I, think, clues. I know. Was it John Aldridge? It was John Aldridge. Yes, get in, get in. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember it because of my first game for Southend. Really, really, um, yeah, first game for Southend. And um, yeah, infamously, I think I've said this before, but yeah, as we're about to go out on the pitch, I, I just dawned, the, the buzzer's gone. I said, Ronnie, this is Ronnie Whelan, the manager. Who's on uh, Who's on corners? Who's on free kicks? He goes, ah, oh, bugger, yeah. Who's on corners and free kicks? Uh, you are. <laughs> <laughs> and, that was, and that was at what? Near post, far post? Ah, just get it in the mixer, mate. Just get it in the mixer. And there we were uh, in the championship at the time. No no iPads, no clipboards, actually no prep on set pieces. But that was that was the way of the world back then. I don't think I'm dreaming, but I think Abby said that mine was the easier question. (laughs) (laughs) Who had a tantrum at a World Cup on the sideline? Well, everyone knows that was John Aldridge. Everyone knows he played for Tranmere. Bettinelli. No one one likes a sour loser, mate. Come on, take it. Unbelievable. Do you remember the um, the the really cheap naff looking white baseball caps that Aldridge and Jack Charlton were both wearing, which <laughs> yes. really kind of yeah brought brought their argument down a little bit. Like they looked really menacing, but but then they had those rubbish hats on, and it, yeah, maybe that's why it took him so long to get on the pitch. Uh, Abby pointed out that at that point during USA '94, she was zero years old. So mm. thanks for that. Do your Abby. research. <laughs> right that'll do it for us today Abby will be back alongside George and Ali for the Totally Football League show extra time on Thursday do join them for that if you can we'll be back on Tuesday of next week because there is a full round of games on Monday until then from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Finding it difficult to get off to sleep? Well, you are not alone. After a long day of Zoom, Doom and Gloom, it's hard to relax and just drop off. Maybe you need a bedtime story. I know, there's a lot of them out there. They ask you to imagine that you're laying on a lily of contentedness, drifting upon a lake of calm, holding hands with the otter of placidity. Our one isn't like that. It's a football bedtime story, and it sounds like this. When Brian Clough arrived at Nottingham Forest in January 1975, they were a mediocre provincial club whose most recent success was winning the FA Cup in 1959. 
but they were 13th in the old 2nd Division now. Clough too was damaged goods. So give it a go tonight. Subscribe to Football Bedtime Stories on your favourite podcast provider now. The Athletic.